Welcome to the Asian Sewist Collective podcast. The Asian Sewist Collective is a group of Asian people from around the world brought together by our shared appreciation for fiber and textile arts and our desire to see more Asian representation in the sewing community. In this podcast, we explore the intersection of our identities and our shared sewing practice as we create a space for Asian sewists and our allies. I'm your co-host, Ada Chen, and I'm recording from Denver, Colorado. Denver is a traditional territory of the Ute, Cheyenne, and Arapaho peoples. I'm a Taiwanese-American marketer turned entrepreneur, and these days you'll find me running my all-natural skincare business called Chuan's Promise. That's C-H-U-A-N apostrophe S, Promise, in sharing my marketing tips on my blog. Most importantly for this podcast, you can find my sewing at i.hope.so on Instagram. And I'm your co-host, Nicole. I'm based outside of Chicago, the original homelands of the Council of the Three Fires, the Ojibwe, the Potawatomi, and the Odawa people. I'm a Philippine-American woman, a lawyer by day, and a sewing enthusiast the rest of the time. You can find me on Instagram at Nicole Angeline Sews. Okay, this week's episode is going to be about upcycling, and we're going to give you some context about the practice and then talk a little bit about what you all told us that you do uh, in terms of upcycling or your own sewing practice. So it's kind of like a one-take listener mailbag episode. We will not be going back for the edits. Sorry in advance. (laughs) (laughs) And there are a lot of resources out there already on how to upcycle lots of different things into lots of new things. And while we're super interested in the topic and all, and a lot of us in, you know, in some way or another practice upcycling, we couldn't really promise that we would blow your mind with any new ideas, like new upcycling projects. So instead, we just wanted to give voice to people's perspectives on the practice of upcycling. Yeah, if you want something that you could pin to a board, go to Pinterest. <laughs> but before we dive into this week's episode, Nicole, can you tell us about your current sewing project? I just wrapped up my last sewing project, so I can talk about that uh, TBD on what's next. But um, actually today, my grandma's uh, celebrated her 93rd birthday. Woo! Woo! Go, Grandma. She's really cute. We were, uh, we had the a luncheon at a restaurant and she was wearing like a super sparkly shirt and like a sparkly headband. And I was like, remarkable. Sublime stuff. <laughs> She's wonderful, a wonderful human being, been through a lot. And um, my mom has, I can't remember if I talked about this on a previous episode. She is retired and bored, it would seem. <laughs> oh, my I think mom we do. Yeah, I think we've talked about the boredom when we talked about Zizi's birthday party. And I was thinking of a way, like, how can I can how can I contribute to this party that my auntie is paying for, like, at luncheon? So, okay, we'll do favors. And I was talking to my mom, and she decided, well, I suggested, and she's like, oh, intriguing, that, that she'd make candles. That was never something that we, that I ever thought that I'd want to do. She's like, oh, yeah, sure, let me try it. And so she made 30 candles for all the guests. Whoa. And my sister and I made the gift bags for the candles. And at season one, I believe it was during season one, I had, or maybe it was season two, I made 30 forget me not bags from Pattern oh, Division. Yeah. It, yeah. They were the ones that it's a rectangular shaped bag and with two handles, but it's a like a stick handles the only way I could describe it like a single handle but you tie it and it's really really cute I made a bunch for 
my work Halloween party and I'm not doing that again, but um, I forget me not minis is a separate pattern. It's the same pattern as the other one, but the designer at pattern division scaled it down to being like the size of maybe a little bit bigger than my fist. So you could probably fit a standard can of soda in it. So it's pretty, maybe it might stick out the top. But what's cool about this pattern, I didn't use it for this project, but the designer included a PDF printable designs. So it's small enough to fit on a letter size or A4 piece of paper. And if you buy the sheets of printable fabric, you can just print them out and that would be the outer and then you just get a lining fabric use the same thing it's really cute that's genius Mm -hmm. then you don't even have to bother with the like lining up and the tracing and the cutting and the Mm -hmm. but I have lots of fabric to use and so (laughs) I gave some to my sister and she made several and I made several and together we made 30 and I I hope someone took a picture of the table because they were super cute just all sitting there rough my idea was that I would just use whatever uh, white patterned fabric that we have for the inside and the outside so they weren't all exactly the same but uh, but there I made my mom said can you make one special for your grandma because I made her a slightly bigger candle and I was like yeah sure so I grabbed leftover fabric that I had and so this is in keeping with the theme of the episode you know the fabric that I had thrifted that I had just made my True Bias Winnie skirt, now called Blair after release. And I made a bag from that extra jacquard, like poly jacquard rosette fabric. And uh, I wore the skirt to the party. And I was like, here's your here's your special one, Grandma. And like I put it next to my skirt. And I was like, <laughs> eh? Eh? <laughs> so that was my project. What's nice is that you can really batch so easily. So I did it in stages. Like I cut everything and then I sewed one seam. Like uh, how do you chain stitching? Is that what it's called? Where it's like, you just keep going. It's chain a cool stitching thing. Chain a little different, I think. Cause there are chain stitching machines and like you can do oh. it kind of like embroidery. I'm just thinking like you don't cut the thread. You just sew a piece, put another piece in, sew a piece. Oh, you the... just, yeah. You don't cut in the middle. Yeah. Um, batch sewing. So, batch sewing. Yes. So that is really what I just wrapped up last night and the party was today. And again, TBD on what's next for me. What are you working on? That is very cute. Also, I commend your mom and your aunt for making candles because temperature control on that is very crucial and it's harder than people think because I definitely tried to do this for my friends for Christmas gifts last year and some of them are a little wonky. They are still, I've gone to my friends' places and they do have them out and they are using them, but I also then tried to do candles with another friend who was trying to like save money and do beeswax candles at home. <laughs> and it was, oh man, the wonkiness of how it sets is was real. So uh, I don't know if they smell like anything. <laughs> well, honestly, it's not even the scent that's like the hard part. It's definitely just the temperature control of when you're se- when they're setting like as mm-hmm. wax. So I commend them and you and your sister for making all the pouches. I too am uh making bags in batch (laughs) (laughs) so i guess for the past two i'm is it two or three years i've been 
one of the, I guess, artists that participates in green gifts at Art Parts Creative Reuse up in Boulder. And so they're one of my local Creative Reuse stores. Cool. They are a nonprofit. Um, and the executive director, Megan, is super great, super friendly, been super supportive. Um, in the past, we've had just excess of the scrunchies and headbands I had for my, you know, day job as part of the accessories that I have on my website um, available to purchase at the shop. And this year we are doing scrunchies because those are like always popular, but I was like, I want to like do something else that's not necessarily like work related and is like more sewing things that I enjoy sewing or is at least something I could do in a batch and like not get super bored of. And Mm -hmm. why not throw a zipper in there? (laughs) My life's (laughs) difficult. Um, So I'm doing zipper pouches because at the Creative Review store, they sell a lot of pencils, pens, paintbrushes, like bits and bobs, and people are always buying them and they need something to hold them in. And mm. currently, they also get a lot of plastic bag donations. So that's how they get rid of like bags of scraps or bags of like fill a bag of beads or stuff like that. But like, what if you could buy some paintbrushes, for example, or pencils, sketching materials markers and then just pop them in a bag um for somebody that you are thinking about so yeah i'm making a batch of zip pouches uh the proceeds get split between the creative view center and me to compensate me for my time and the materials but i'm trying to be very diligent about using it as almost like a scrap buster project because i have so many scraps that are like the right size mm-hmm. for that and Zippers are like 25 cents at the creative view store. So it's not a bad uh, batch project or batch gift, I think. Not that uh, by the time this comes out, I don't know if it will be high holiday season yet or not. But yeah, that is what we're making. Are you using a pattern? I'm not. I'm literally just kind of freehanding it. Like I freehanded a sample that I had to send for a photo and I just chopped a scrap into a rectangle and sewed up the side seams or added the zipper and then sewed up the side seams and I was like boop we're done and I kind of kept the pricing flexible because they ask us to do the pricing for them to make sure it's like reasonable for your time and the materials mm-hmm. and you know their cut um of the sales and I gave them like kind of a variety of prices depending on like how big it is and you know what's the color scheme and all that stuff Oh, that sounds exciting. Very cool. What a great idea. And that it's cool because you could get the zippers, <laughs> creative reuse, and then it's all very much like a circular thing until it gets to the person who is ultimately going to keep it. And that's cool. Oh, I forgot to tell you, I'm working on another project. It's not a sewing project, though. Ooh, what? <laughs> okay. I know you know, we just haven't talked about it in a while. We finally have our new label collection in. So uh, all of, uh, for for the listeners, we do, if you don't know already, we have a coffee page where you can purchase our version one of our sew in sewing labels. And I found myself making a few things over the summer with bedsheets or with uh, upcycled materials, either previously, you know, owned clothing or ones that I've made and like just redid it so that I could use it for something else. And I remember messaging you 
and Mariko and and saying, why don't why do I not have cool tags that talk about how this is like upcycled from a bed sheet? I have so many labels. I I love I like buying things, but we don't really have anything. There's nothing out there that's just like specific to people who are this type of sustainably minded. And so my project is I'm bagging up the labels, baby. Woo! Welcome to the world of e-commerce and mailing things to people who buy them online. It's a it's a lot. <laughs> it is, yes. I mean, I you know because we have previously. I don't think we've talked about it on the pod, but basically, on our first batch of labels, which you can still buy on our coffee page ko-fi.com/slash Asian Sewist Collective, um, those labels we still have a couple packs left, a couple dozen packs. So. Mm-hmm get on it we are not doing another run as far as i know but those got shipped to me i sat down and watched netflix while i was packaging them individually and then stapling them shut and then they lived in the warehouse where i work out of for my day job right make all the skincare ship all the skincare and then after that uh they were getting mailed out and i was like I can't handle like two sets though and also my own inventory because something inevitably is going to get lost in here. I have boxes and like things all over the place and I didn't want them to get misplaced. And also I think because we knew that I would be in and out of Denver mm-hmm. <laughs> for the past few months and upcoming months, um, you volunteered to take it over. So I shipped those all over to you and then the new set all gets something or all got sent to you yeah and so now you're taking over and it's been very interesting because I think you bring like a this is like cool and interesting like (laughs) approach to it where I'm like oh my god not shipping another (laughs) (laughs) I figured it made sense to get that off of your plate and 2022 was was rough for me personally and I'm feeling like 2023 has brought more energy and calm to my life I was like I could do a little bit more and just so listeners know if by the time this comes out the website should be live for these new ones but we've got sayings five different labels and they say saved from the landfill sustainably made um, not a bedsheet snob, which is an homage to one of our past guests, Ella, from uh, At Handmade Millennial, loving, lovingly rescued fibers. And the last one, every time I see it, it just makes me laugh. And it's it's very on brand for my humor. And <laughs> the song is 13 years old at this point, probably. But there's one that says, I'm thrifty and I know it. <laughs> No, nobody else. Anybody? No, it's it's pretty good. Once you look at the little, like it's a little money bags with the peace sign. It's very cute. It's really cute. Check so, our Instagram. <laughs> absolutely, and our producer Mariko, and also artist who is at uh, the is it the Unicorn Hoax? We'll that get is right. her comic strip. Yeah, the Unicorn Hoax, which is like a web comic strip about hilarious workplace I shouldn't say hilarious workplace trauma (laughs) processing (laughs) it and it is objectively hilarious (laughs) because she pulls from people's real life experiences and you could also find her other work at at Mariko Abe creative and of course we'll do uh put all that in the show notes for you but yeah that's something else I'm working on that's like sewing related but not sewing related or not pot not actual sewing project related but definitely podcast related so I just wanted to sneak that in there. (laughs) 
Today's episode was produced by Shylin Joy, researched by Cindy Chan, and edited by me. So I hope everyone's ears are okay still. <laughs> Doing more editing this season. And this week, we are talking about upcycling and asked our listeners to be involved in this conversation. So we posted a few questions about upcycling on our Instagram for listener submissions, which we'll talk about throughout this episode. So Ada, what is upcycling? Upcycling is the process of making something new or better from used or waste materials. And it's different from recycling because recycling requires one to break down an item into parts for raw material before making it into something new. And in textiles, recycled material is often considered inferior, for example, because recycling fibers will inevitably shorten them, um, which means they're just not as strong. And in a process called downcycling, some recycled fibers can only be turned into like insulation or stuffing, batting, that kind of stuff besides, um, or rather than new fabric that you could use. Upcycling, on the other hand, takes an item as is and adds to it or reimagines it into something that is quote-unquote better. I have a question for you, Ada. Yes. As you were as you were talking about upcycling, downcycling, and recycling, where would upcycling fall on the reduce, reuse, recycle triangle that they teach us about in America <laughs> uh, in <laughs> elementary school? I would assume that it kind of falls under reuse because you are not necessarily recycling it, right? You're not taking it apart and using those base materials, although you might be. Um, you are reusing it as something else that is perhaps a different use then or not necessarily a downstream use from the original like product or uh, material that it came from. Okay, that makes sense. I just, we said the word cycling a lot in that such. I was like, where does that fall in? I don't know. If, do you remember what I'm talking about? Do you remember the, like, yep. the, reduced, the little reduced triangle? Reduced yeah. And uh, the older I get, the more I realize that like recycling has to be the last, like the, the last resort and like reusing, re reducing and then reusing and recycling. It's like in order of importance, really, which I think is uh, not always considered when people are thinking about how they use their materials and how they acquire things. So anyway, people <laughs> like as uh, this is, we're going with it. We're going with it today and people upcycle for a lot of different reasons. So for some of our listeners, upcycling is a way to save money by either using things they already own or thrifting for material. So for others, upcycling was a way to get back into sewing by mending or altering garments to a fit or to fit themselves or their style. And similarly, some of you upcycle to reduce waste. So one of our listeners, Barbara, who is at Estrella de la Luna on Instagram shared, I started upcycling more recently because I bought a sewing machine to learn to make clothes that fit me well and to get the look that I wanted. A lot of things aren't made for a body like mine and are very impersonal. When I upcycle, I can change things to fit both me and my personality. I will eventually learn to make clothes for myself, but for now, changing ready-made pieces is more simple. And she's my bestie. She's throwing that out there. Come through, Barb. We love you. <laughs> we love you, Barb. And for other people, upcycling came before sewing, like Barb, so it felt natural to continue not letting things go to waste. I love that. And I love hearing about you and Barb offline when we're not recording the podcast uh, talk <laughs> about sewing. 
And in addition to the cost savings and sustainability, a lot of people upcycle to resist consumerism and capitalism by purposefully not buying new items to make a statement. Um, Other statements for upcycling or from upcycling are by means of creating a completely unique item by either using different items, um, upcyclers get a chance to hone in on their creativity and make functional art or get a change or get a chance to give new life to either a possession that they inherited or somehow acquired to maybe connect themselves to their family history or, you know, traditions. So for example, turning other garments or old garments into a quilt or turning a broken dish set into a mosaic. This can give upcyclers social cred too by being able to flex their uniquely made pieces. And I don't know about you, Nicole, but this is basically half of my TikTok feed right now. You know I don't TikTok. (laughs) I'm a millennial who waits on Instagram reels until the TikTok becomes not popular weeks later and I see it on Instagram. (laughs) It's about two weeks. Yeah. Yeah, that's fine. But yeah, I hear you. And upcycling can also reduce energy usage. So it takes energy not only to dispose of items, but also to recycle them. And there's transportation, labor, processing that goes into recycling. And to recycle those materials, breaking down the materials, turning it into raw materials to reuse can be more costly than just chucking it and throwing it away. So by upcycling an item where it was originally used, many of these additional costs are eliminated. So how do you actually weigh these sustainability benefits. You kind of alluded to it earlier, Nicole. Um, There is kind of the, there are a few themes I think that I've seen at least in not only the upcycling like social media space of people who do upcycling as part of their sewing practice or just are like, you know, that's what they're known for. Um, And there's the like use what you have principle. So like using what you have is better than going out and buying something new or even getting something that's new to you. Um, And then there's also the progress over perfection kind of mantra that comes up a lot, which, you know, I kind of agree with both of those takes. Um, Just thinking about my own personal sewing and sustainability practices and I think it's kind of up to each individual to not only consider the material that you're using and you're making with but also like the time and energy that you're putting into it too right like is it actually more sustainable to use something or cut something up and redo it if you're going to have to go out and like buy a whole let's say set of new sequins that you want to put onto it. Like those sequins are plastic. They can't be easily disposed of, et cetera, et cetera. Um, So I think it's all like personal preference and like what you're comfortable with. Like I'm not telling everybody to go out and immediately ditch all their plastic jars and jugs and whatnot um, and switch to refills only or, you know, apply something similar and only go to creative reuse stores for your fabric. Like I think that would be actually really difficult (laughs) to pursue as your uh, upcycling journey or your sewing journey goes. But yeah, definitely worth considering how much time and energy is also going into any of those processes that you're doing as well. We ask you, our listeners on Instagram, to tell us if your culture and or societal background has influenced your approach to upcycling clothing. Friend of the pod and past guest, Ella at Handmade Millennial said, quote, Growing up, my aunties were big into saving everything. Plastic yogurt containers were washed out and reused to hold things. They composted, made DIY bread, 
and didn't waste any scraps of fabric, like a quilter, (laughs) or anything else. And I viewed their resourcefulness as cheap and unrefined at the time. They were immigrants from the Philippines who were used to being resourceful and making the most out of everything that they had. Coming from a small village where it was less easy to buy everything you could ever think of the way that we do now. I find myself doing all of the same things and realizing that they were the OG upcyclers. Realizing how cool it is to multi-purpose and make things out of what others view as trash. Now I celebrate them and just feel regret that I ever looked down on it. It was in my DNA all along to be resourceful in this way, end quote. (laughs) So I laugh. So uh, my family is also from the Philippines and we grew up with my grandma, my grandparents in the house, my mom's parents in the house. And I definitely relate to this whole, you know, margarine tub full of soup type thing. (laughs) But the interesting part of that, this for me, is that with my mom, we weren't as focused on thrifting and and upcycling. I think my grandma really pushed it, but perhaps because my mom was a 21-year-old woman, single when she came to the U.S., making enough money to provide for her family and her grand and her parents and shopping was like a hobby, you know? And yes. so thrifting and upcycling didn't enter my world until I was an adult. So I had both, you know, Ella had the same, uh, you know, ethos of, you know, reusing all sorts of things. But then when it came to new materials, like, like clothing or bags or whatever, like it was important to buy the new things. And I wonder if that's, uh, maybe an immigrant thing or someone who didn't have as much money growing up having it now and wanting the finer things in life. So I don't know, Ada, if you if that any of that resonates with you. I do think part of that, especially the like margarine tub full of soup, is <laughs> almost a universal immigrant child or immigrant parent kind of experience. And I was literally talking about this with somebody at work the other day and they are, they identify as Latina and they were saying like, oh my God, my mom too, like you would open something in the fridge and you didn't know what it was. And (laughs) yeah, so I, I think that might be a little bit more of a universal experience, but I do think parts of this are unique in terms of fabric, for Mm. example. Another friend of the pod and past guest, Tina Say, who is at tina.say.knits, said, quote, I'm a child of Chinese immigrants who came from rural parts of China. They knew poverty and starvation. I grew up learning from them that everything you have should not be wasted because you never know when you won't have anything. The family I grew up with were all makers of some kind. My paternal grandfather was a chef slash cook. My paternal grandmother was a New York City garment worker and made jewelry on the side and taught me knitting. My mother crocheted and sewed. My dad was a watchmaker and carpenter and pretty much built anything we needed on with his on his own with whatever material he could scavenge. So in a way, they taught me the importance of nothing going to waste and to find value in anything that can be salvaged and find use for it. I think that's what upcycling is all about. End quote. And I love that Tina has such this like a multi-generational kind of layered experience with it where each person had a different skill set that they brought in. And personally, I like dabbled a little bit into the carpentry, I guess, world this summer. And it was it, there's a lot. Um, I had a friend also tell me that she did something similar where she disassembled wooden pallets and that was how she made her first like backyard set 
Wow. And she did it because she was a broke college, recent college grad. And we were all like so impressed that she had even done anything with wood because the rest of us like suburban and city kids are like, what do you mean a, you need a planer? What's a planer for? <laughs> the answer is to smooth out uh, planks or boards. But yeah, I kind of, I love that Tina's experience is multi-generational and it does kind of draw into different hard skills that maybe we don't necessarily appreciate as much as we could today. I have no hard skills. Sewing's <laughs> a hard skill. Okay. Okay, good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> listening to Tina's story, I think about how, while I don't see my mom as someone who had these types of skills, uh, she was too busy. She was busy working and providing, but my grandpa was a was a creator in that. You know, he was a self taught carpenter for for many many years, and I and he taught his his children how to do that. And so we never had to hire anyone because there was always an uncle. And you know, I remember things like waking up to the awful noise of tile being cut. I'm like, what is Oof. this? And they're just like redoing the floors and. You know, it speaks to the ethos of like, that's what you, you, everyone having hard skills was more normal where my family came from at the time that they came from it. And yeah, besides sewing, I'm pretty useless. (laughs) So that could be why also that, you know, the, the upcycling is not something that comes naturally to me. But it's definitely something that I aspire to. And listener Josie, who is at Coffee Break with Josie on Instagram, says, quote, I am first generation Mexican-American. I was always at yard sales as a kid and as a teen thought to taught to thrift and learn to scope out brands in the racks that so I could be cool in school. <laughs> Wear what the cool kids were wearing, so to speak. I couldn't afford Delia catalogs, looks, or wet seal, Miller's outposts, but dang grateful my cousins and mom made me feel cool by upcycling clothes and hand sewing fun patches to Levi's, and my mom would even sew in men clothes I found at yard sales. I still love yard sales and thrifting to this day. Embarrassed as a kid when my friends would see me at their yard sales, but looking back now, I always had a blast being creative with items I would find end quote. Uh, I did not yard sale <laughs> growing up the same, you know, same reason. Like I think it was, there was something with the way that my mom wanted to buy things she couldn't have before, but she, we're all coming around <laughs> as, as we get older. I think I, I don't remember going to any when I was young, but we definitely tried to have one and it didn't really work because we were so far into our like little neighborhood mm-hmm. that no amount of like you had to know where you were going in order to find it and so yeah I don't really I see a few like around here and there I more see estate sales now yeah. nowadays right yeah and I think people are just like so into that idea of just consumption and like tossing things or donating it to Goodwill versus doing a yard sale nowadays but listeners if there are yard sales in your area or boot sales i think is what they call them in the uk car boot sales car boot sales let us know um another friend of the pod dr amelia who is at making underscore and underscore candor says i feel like upcycling or in any case making do of what one has is a quintessential part of the diasporic experience 
not just when it comes to sewing, but also any aspect of life. So naturally, a person from an immigrant background would be already more primed to upcycling or refashioning. At least that was the case for me to a point where it doesn't feel like upcycling, but rather becomes the norm. Now that I live in Asia, my own propensity for not wasting anything has grown into also cultivating gratitude for the items I use. Utilizing items until they are unusable and conversely using everything to completion is deeply ingrained into traditional Japanese culture. Just look at anything from cooking to kimono remaking, and I find myself very attuned to this philosophy. Thanks, Amelia. Amelia is always a great person to kind of look at for style, in my opinion. Um, They have fantastic choices and also a similar color palette to what I wear so it's not a hard stretch for my brain. I do kind of agree though that some of the consumerism that we see is rooted in the fact that like you and I both live in the states Mm -hmm. and have lived here for the majority of our lives and it's just very like buy it and replace it and Mm -hmm. next one and I think it's only been over the last like five to ten years that I've seen rewear, mend, recycle, upcycle kind of come into the mainstream, if you will. Like, for example, all the brands that are doing like secondhand uh, markets for their clothing or doing take back um, or even doing like consignment of pieces like REI has consignment now, apparently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where they'll take back certain brands and... Yeah, I think it's interesting to kind of compare and contrast because we get more of a lens of like what is happening outside of just here. Whereas like, I'm really not sure if this is like a discussion or even something that crosses the mind of, you know, a white friend, for example. Like some people, yes, definitely going to give them the credit for being sustainably minded. But I also wonder if like kind of the angle that we come at it with like both tradition that Amelia is talking about and where we come from and culturally and then like getting here and like shifting and what does that all mean yeah I think for me I see a correlation between being descendant of recent immigrants is like a big thing in terms of upcycling and you'd said that you know 10 five to ten years now it's it's semi-mainstream and I was thinking I do see a lot of it but it's in my own self-selected curated feed and what I read so I am still surprised by how Shein and other fast fashion just continue to destroy the planet (laughs) Uh, and how it just doesn't seem like the message of sustainability and, and upcycling is potentially as broad like again surround myself with people who understand it and you know everyone that's giving their feedback on our podcast today, understand it. And that I just, I'm not sure how widespread it is. And again, I think it it's tied to potentially like immigrant, recent immigrant backgrounds, um, which I think is really interesting. And who knows, <laughs> like everyone's different and, and uh, people upcycle for lots of different reasons. And like, like we're illustrating today and Allison at Allison maker space says, Growing up, my dad, an immigrant from Cuba, was very conservative with his money. My mom, coming from a low-income household, was very good at being scrappy. I think this led me to reusing and repurposing everything. I didn't know if I was going to be able to purchase what I wanted, and if what I had was a solid substitute, then that was good enough. It also helped spark my creativity when I was younger. 
Nothing really felt out of reach, but was more of a challenge of how to use what I had to get slash make what I wanted. When I started sewing, I had the same mindset. I didn't want to, quote, waste the leftover fabric I had or throw out clothes I loved because they didn't fit, had holes, etc. It was, you know, how can I keep this and make something new? Which, yeah, I think in the in the realm of clothing and sewing as an like a personal expression, I think if you had if I had sewed 10 years ago, I might not have been as mindful when it came to these decisions because I would prioritize sort of my own joy, uh, which which I still do and, and you should still do, but my own joy and just grabbing whatever I wanted and then just, you know, the, the instant sort of gratification. And you and I joke, I know we've joked before that I'm like, I don't, I'm not a, it's the process person. I'm like, <laughs> I, I want the final thing and I want to love it. It's like, oh, enjoy the process. And I'm like, yeah, but I want the final thing. So I think inherently I'm I'm that type of impatient, but sewing and learning more about, you know, where fabric comes from and what goes into making it, who is making it, what I like has really refined, you know, my ability to stop buying stuff, even if it's thrifted, you know, that, that yeah. is just not something that I'm necessarily going to use. So, um, it is just really cool how all of these stories have similar threads. See what I did there? <laughs> nice all one. from people from all different types of backgrounds. I so deeply relate to what Allison said about like not wanting to waste the leftover fabric because I had such problems, I think, cutting out patterns at the beginning and being like, but what do I do with this like weird oval shape that's left from a neckline? Wow. That's still fabric and and so I deeply that deeply resonates with me. But also, yeah, like it's it's kind of a balance of how much is too much and even if I thrift it, if it just sits here like it's not being used, that's yeah. also not good too. Um, going back to Barb, who we mentioned at the top of the episode at Estrella de la Luna, Barb said I do think my culture and societal background influences my approach to upcycling. I am a child of Mexican immigrant parents. She also noted, not sure if that's the right way to say it since they're citizens now, um, who are very much working class. Sometimes my parents had multiple jobs and we made sacrifices to make ends. We tried to make things last as long as possible and one way was to upcycle everything, but especially clothing. My parents didn't have money to spend on trendy new clothes or new clothes often. Then I learned to make do with the clothes I had and to make it my own, and I still do. There's also a sense of accomplishment and satisfaction from creating something or turning something that other people would dismiss into something you get compliments on. And it's not solely about the compliments, but they're nice, which I love that. Like, it's not about pleasing others with what you made for yourself. It's about making sure that you're happy with what you made and it, you know, is something that you are going to actually wear, right? Like, that's part of the reuse kind of ethos right like you are still going to be using it in some form or another and so I really love kind of hearing that and I do think that if you kind of track the trend of upcyclers in social media for example or YouTube like a lot of them did start from a very similar place of like well I can't afford to make a whole new 
outfit, costume, whatever, out of brand new material or materials and fabric, even if you go to Joanne's with like an 80% off coupon or something, right? Like (laughs) what you use and is already in your house is essentially free. Like you did pay for it originally, but like the material is, doesn't cost you extra to go get or make. So I love that. Yeah, I think it's really, you still do need to be intentional about what ends up getting used and why. And I wonder, this is why I love hearing these snippets from our listeners' lives, because we're ta- we've are we said a few times, you know, upcyclers on TikTok, but if they're upcycling things and then never wearing them again, like what's, is, is, is there value in, there is value in that, of course, but is that a true sort of, does it fully align with the ethos of upcycling where you just do it and it's like, hey, this is cool. I upcycled this thing, but I don't know what you do with it after the 20 second reel, you know, but here we're talking about, you know, how people keep the cycle going <laughs> from when they upcycle their stuff and what it means to them. So I think that's why, you know, it's it's great to hear from folks who aren't doing this for the for the cred, which no shame doing it for the cred but uh, this is why i love to hear these stories okay listeners you also heard us talk about labels at the beginning of this episode but here's a shameless plug check out our new labels that talk all about sustainability and upcycling and thrifting at coffee.com slash asian soloist collective so it's ko-fi.com slash asian soloist collective and you can pick up a five pack of labels created by our very own Mariko Abe, producer of the podcast. And they feature really cute illustrations for five different sayings, which are I'm thrifty and I know it, not a bed sheet snob, lovingly rescued fibers, saved from the landfill and sustainably made. You can get a five pack for $6 US plus shipping. So we do ship internationally. It just might take a little bit longer. So if you're thinking about using these on holiday projects or you want to order them to arrive in time, I don't know, as like a gift for yourself, get those orders in. ko-fi.com slash Asian Soulist Collective. And last but not least, we have Regina, who is at regina.espino on Instagram. I don't really connect upcycling and refashioning clothes with my ethnic heritage as much as just my own upbringing not to waste things. Containers get washed and reused. Clothes get passed on to younger relatives or changed to fit as we grow. Broken appliances were fixed with parts from other things, like a sawed-off pipe becomes the leg for a busted table. And when I was in high school in the Philippines, we went on a school trip to Smoky Mountain, which is a huge trash dump, and that has stuck with me. So... Regina, I am a, I'm aware of Smoky Mountain in the Philippines. It's just, and oftentimes there are the countries that suffer the most from the excesses of the richest countries are the ones who, uh, who are least equipped to manage this waste that's not theirs. Yeah, it's like um, if you read any of the books that are out there, the research and the articles, it's like the global north collectively with our consumption of fast fashion has essentially created a waste problem for the global South. Um, yeah, it's, I haven't heard of Smoky Mountain, but I did look it up once we got this con- er, comment and I was like, whoa, mm-hmm. definitely look it up. If you haven't heard about it, there are similar landfills uh, around the world, which is really a shame. 
I guess with upcycling, I didn't really realize that it was normal to throw stuff away, <laughs> kind of as some of our listeners have pointed out here. Um, I didn't realize it was normal to just throw stuff away or conventional, I guess, until I moved out of the house. It, it kind of felt like a I lived in a hoarder mentality, a little bit of like scarcity mindset, immigrant family mm-hmm. experience, like pretty deep. And we actually watched Pixar's, uh, what was it called? Oh, Elemental yesterday. Mm. And the story, I don't know if you've watched it, like deeply, it deeply resonated. And at the end, I was like, this was definitely written and and or directed by an Asian American person who is sim- same second generation. <laughs> and, and it was. Um, the director's name is Peter Son. He's Korean American. He was born in the Bronx in the, I think, 70s or 80s. So we watched also the 42 minute documentary about his own experience that kind of influenced the story i think the story like most pixar stories is very universal but like there were some parts where you're like "Ah." (laughs) (laughs) right which like some of it is like reusing um and recycling in ways that like aren't necessarily like the sexiest i guess right like there was recently that saturday night live sketch with um pedro pascal and bad bunny protective mom too if anyone hasn't seen it we are all big fans here and partway through i'm gonna spoil it for you partway through the um the mom played by pedro pascal takes a cookie tin you know you know the cookie tin oh yeah yeah the the dutch shortbread cookie blue tin (laughs) opens it i don't know where they got this tin by the way i was like oh my god they got the real they got the real one yeah literally opens it and just pours the cookies into the trash which in my household we would we would be eating them first and then shovels like all the sewing notions and scissors into the tin like one arm (laughs) scoops yeah and I was like oh this is this is me and every time I post my collection of tins because I do have a collection of tins now to hold my notions everybody's like me too and I think it's funny how we kind of carry those habits through. And like Ella said, you know, they they become just part of who we are as well. And, you know, like I, I, I don't know if you upcycled things when you were growing up, but that was more of like an arts and crafts vibe, I think, at the time. Like technically, I think I sewed a T-shirt in Girl Scouts into a pillow. I'm, it was definitely not done by hand. Like, we definitely had a machine. Mm-hmm. But also, like, thinking back to when I got my my own machine for the first time a few years ago, right? Like, that was also technically an upcycle. I was turning very old, like, we're talking 80s old <laughs> pillowcases into basic face masks. And I was like hand sewing is just not going to cut it. (laughs) We need a machine. And so I guess all of that is to say, even though I am personally very sustainability focused, right? Like I've made that a differentiator in my day job and what I do um, in making skincare and also like in my own sewing practice, I still struggle with upcycling too. Like I am much more someone who defaults to mending or replacing something, right? Like if I have busted a t-shirt I'm just gonna make a new one because I have enough fabric in my stash and turn that existing t-shirt and probably downcycle it to be honest unless there's enough fabric for me to make it something new or just trim off you know where the belt has hit it and made holes or something like that I definitely again did not upcycle or uh, reuse things more around the house but with regard to 
sewing or creating even arts and crafts it was just a you get you get new stuff and you go with it and I again now as an adult I still buy new stuff like I'm not gonna you know pretend like I don't I do I have the same struggles as you though Ada in terms of upcycling I think it's something it, it requires a measure of creativity and patience to really take something and create something new and usable and I don't I don't think it is innate to me, but I do think about it a lot. And it's more, not necessarily within my sewing, but stuff like, I'm going to make this into a rag <laughs> and, and you know, use it to wipe counters and we've got a bucket for rags and that get hot washed. Uh, I will say my husband doesn't do that. Loves, loves a paper towel, loves a paper towel. Drives me crazy. I'm me like- Me too. Why? why just can we just just wash this <laughs> but um but is that upcycling or downcycling i don't know that might be downcycling technically See, I, I think yeah technically i think it's downcycling did i say downsizing no <laughs> oh okay <laughs> but man. you were like which which way does it go i guess technically it's downcycling but i would argue that you might use a t-shirt rag more than you were going to wear that t-shirt Depending on how many t-shirts you have in rotation, you know? <laughs> true, true. But maybe taking a t-shirt that's too... T- taking a shirt that's too large and then cutting it into a new shirt that you would wear more often. That's upcycling. Okay, see, I'm still learning. This is what I'm saying. It's not innate to me. And not that we should be splitting hairs about what is upcycling and what is downcycling. But it's just something that I still have to be intentional about thinking about. And I think if... Perhaps my parents were more like my grandparents. I think it would be more natural to me, but you know, there's all those additional factors about my upbringing and perspectives towards upcycling shifts depending on current trends. So Asian people and the Asian diaspora often engage in upcycling as a matter of necessity. So some people have viewed upcycling as a task that's done when you can't afford something new. So if you think about it, you know, historical conditions like war, famine, and mass emigration in Asia have made the scarcity mindset common among certain populations of Asians in the Asian diaspora. And this results in cultural upcycling practices in order to get as much use as possible out of an item. So for example, making a basahan, which is a Filipino braided rug made from old textiles. And there's also the historical Japanese cultural philosophy of avoiding waste, uh, mota inai, which has been experiencing a revival in the last couple of decades as people have grown in awareness of the amount of waste generated by our modern lifestyle. Our researcher, Cindy, also observed that there seems to be a general trend of it's trendy when white people do it, kind of, that comes along Mm. with upcycling, though, you know, white people haven't always appreciated upcycling either. So let's take, for example, Dolly Parton's Coat of Many Colors, which is a song in which she sings about a coat that her mom sewed for her out of rags and getting made fun of for wearing it. Although let's let's be honest, if somebody made a coat like that now, like they they would call it like high fashion or something. So chic. So, so chic. chic, right? And and it would be like it took me this many hours and I saved this many things. But at the time it was she got made fun of and versus Macklemore's song, Thrift Shop from 2012, which basically glorified thrifting and a little bit of shoplifting. <laughs> 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 I'm gonna pop some tags. Um 
Which brings us to now. So there are a ton of content creators that we've kind of alluded to who've made careers and livelihoods out of upcycling thrifted garments. Popping tags means literally popping tags? I want to, that was my interpretation of it. I think that's what it means. That was the long pause. I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> the song is 11 years old. And I just thought it was a fancy way to say check. I don't know. Okay. Anyway, blowing my mind here. Oh, <laughs> so no. back- wait. Oh, well, this one's about, that's not about the right song. I'm like Googling it now. And oh. In the song, there's somebody else that says, in the song, poppin' tags means buying lots of clothing and accessories, taking the tags off after purchase for wearing. Oh, uh, okay. So that's then what somebody I else explained was. pop some tags and he explained means to steal. I think, I, I guess it just depends on where you're at in the process of acquiring things. <laughs> I don't know. This is the second Mac- oh no uh i was gonna say it's the second macklemore uh reference today but it's not i am confusing macklemore with lmfao with our new labels anyway <laughs> let's let's uh let's let's bring let's uh let's bring the train into the station here and talk about content creators who make livelihoods out of the thrifted garments and when content creators do this it raises the status of upcycling as a practice so it's everywhere now there's upcycled clothing food like When a brand or company uses materials that would have otherwise been discarded to create a new snack, food, or treat. There's upcycled art made from materials that would have been discarded. The list goes on and on. And I mean, we're even talking about, you know, uh, upcycling in our our main topic today. So it must have reached our team somehow. And we all know that when something is trendy, there can also be some problems like (laughs) cultural appropriation. You knew it was coming here. (laughs) If you clicked on this episode, you knew we were going to get here. The big glaring example that we see a lot in the sewing community is sashiko, which is a form of embroidery that originates from Japan and historically was used as a way for laborers to extend the life of their clothing. And now it's a trendy thing in the sewing community. We've talked about it a bit, I think, in the past, in past episodes. And there are a lot of people practicing it a lot now. A lot of white women profiting off of the practice without necessarily uh, paying the culture that it came from. And so you can go back to episodes one and six to learn more about cultural appropriation and why it's not okay. So where does that leave us with upcycling? And I think, you know, is it good? Is it bad? Is it virtual virtue signaling? I land on, you know, generally it's a good thing. I think one of the things that stands out for me again is not necessarily the act of upcycling, but the continued use of that upcycled garment. So you, so your content creators, your TikTokers, uh, creating all these sorts of things to make something new, but then not necessarily wearing them um, or getting additional use out of them apart from whatever uh, exposure that they get from the act of making the garment. So I think overall it's good. Like we should be using what is currently on earth instead of creating new, given the state of the way that our uh, environment is being harmed by a lot of different aspects of production earlier you know we talked about labor we talked about transportation there's you know harvesting of even natural fibers but uh if we're can if we can use what we have already then i think it's a good thing keeping in mind that you know there are 
things to consider, like continued use and potential, you know, cultural appropriation and turning something that is a historical practice into something that's trendy. Agreed. I kind of feel like on the whole, it's a great practice if we can use more of what we already have. Like I love, we love to see it. I love to see it. Uh, I do agree with you. Like what happens to those garments? Do they become part of your normal wear? Are you just doing it for the video? Like that kind of gets into the whole content creator hamster wheel. If, Mm -hmm. if we may, Um, like, you know, you need to make more content for the algorithm. We know it. We have a podcast. We have Instagrams, right? Like you see it all the time. I think some of that discussion of like how fast are people making just to post it it has come up before. And I I do kind of agree. Like I would much rather see that someone has upcycled something and then has worn it like five more times and styled it in these five other ways or two, three other ways to keep it part of their wardrobe than to see them make five new things that like maybe I'm not going to relate to whatsoever. Um, I do think there is a bit of virtue virtue signaling going on kind of in the upcycling world for some street cred and whatnot, uh, social media cred and likes, but I do know that most of the content creators who put out content like that are working very hard, not only on what they're making, but on creating the content for us to consume. And so I kind of got to give them some props anyways, even if it is just for the clicks and the likes. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know if I'm I'm able to, you know, not necessarily change my creativity, but like be creative in a way that would help me incorporate this into my own sewing practice extremely regularly. But it is definitely something, you know, I'm putting together this episode that got me thinking about like, okay, well, what else can I do with my existing stash of fabric and my existing wardrobe, which... You know, there's plenty of clothing and fabric in there to last me a lifetime. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode of the Asian Sewist Collective podcast. If you like our show, please consider supporting us on Coffee by becoming a one-time or monthly supporter or by buying our stickers and sewing labels. That's right. We have merch. Buy the labels. They are hilarious. Your financial support helps us with overhead expenses and will allow us to give back to our all-volunteer team who works so hard to provide you with new content each week. The link to our coffee page is ko-fi.com slash Asian Sewist Collective, and you can find the link in our show notes, on our website, and on our Instagram account. Check us out on Instagram at Asian Sewist Collective. That's one word, Asian Sewist Collective. And you can also help us out by spreading the word and telling your friends. We would appreciate it if you could rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All of the links and resources mentioned in today's episode will be in the show notes on our website. That's asiansewistcollective.com. And we'd love to hear from you. Email us with your questions, comments, or even voice messages if you want to be featured on future episodes at asiansewistcollective at gmail.com. This episode was brought to you by your co-hosts, Ada Chen and Nicole Angeline. Thank you so much to the other members of our collective who made this week's episode a reality. This is the Asian Sewist Collective podcast, and we'll see you next week.